You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I am John. And on this week's episode, we're going to be looking at two episodes of the Big Finish Space 1999 box set number one. We'll be looking at the episodes Death's Other Dominion and Goldilocks. And we're going to be starting with Death's Other Dominion. This one is a reimagining of the original story, also called Death's Other Dominion. Synopsis goes something like this. A voice calls out to Moonbase Alpha by name from a nearby planet. To the surprise of everyone, when contact is made, the voice identifies himself as Dr. Cheney Rowland, and the inhabitants of the planet are the survivors of the Earth-Neptune probe lost 17 years earlier. In amongst the message is another voice saying one word, Midas. Simmons is gung-ho to accept their offer of visiting the planet. Koenig is worried. The word Midas is a code word used by astronauts for a dangerous situation that doesn't look hazardous. He is cautious. But really, what can they do? If there are survivors of the Neptune probe, they may need rescuing. Or they may have valuable data that could help the Alphans survive, find a home, or even find a way back to Earth. Koenig, Bergman, Dr. Russell, and Carter travel to the planet, which is named Neville. The planet is miserably cold and stormy, and despite a locator beam, the landing party gets separated and nearly die. Roland's people find Koenig and Bergman, while a madman named Jack Tanner finds Helena. Tanner warns Helena to leave Neville, but Roland finds him before Jack can continue his warning. The Neptune probe story is a wild one. Caught in a proton storm, it interacted somehow with their engines, and they were somehow flung to this far-flung place, with no clue where they are. But they do know one thing. They were flung backwards in time over 900 years, and they are now immortal. They've used their time to build a huge underground facility, and they farm the local animals, raise crops they had on the Neptune probe, and have continued to advance their technology, even to the point of building an interstellar spacecraft. They just need a nuclear reactor, like Alphas, to power it, and they can go wherever they want. The Alphans could not only live a comfortable life on Neville, they might even be able to get back home or, or find a better planet. But they would have to abandon Alpha and disable it to do so. And they only have less than three days. The Alphans have questions. Koenig and Helena are still concerned about the warnings. Roland wants to have normal humans to analyze, and he hopes the Alphans will agree to be the subject of his experiments. He hopes to do a differential analysis between normies and immortals so they can understand what happened to them. Koenig isn't too keen on being a lab rat, either. Still, then the bombshells hit. Something on the planet is what made them immortal. If the Alphans stay, they'll likely become immortal, too. Also, once immortal, you can't have children. And you have to take drugs not to go insane. And Roland didn't bother to mention any of that. Helena goes to find Jack and see what his warning was, but when she finds him, she also finds crazed zombies worse than Jack. Crew members who volunteered to Roland's experiments. Roland arrives and stuns Dr. Russell and takes her to his lab to begin using her as a test subject. 
He thinks he's worked out the bugs that caused the unfortunate side effects, but it's still painful, and regrettably, he'll have to kill Dr. Rustle afterwards so she won't blab to Koenig. Jack gets to Koenig and leads him to Roland, where they free Dr. Russell and Jack destroys the lab. Roland gets away and captures Bergman aboard their spaceship. Koenig and Dr. Russell arrive and the ship's controls are damaged and a launch sequence initiated. The Alphans and Jack escape, but Roland and his wife, Frida, take off, planning to head to Alpha and take their nuclear generator. Neva is a jealous mistress, though, and as they leave the atmosphere, aging catches up with him and they die. The Alphans return alone, leaving the rest of the Neptune Probe's crew behind. Their search must go on, and John Koenig has a report to fill out. The end. Always have to fill those reports out. Yes, I I actually kind of like that part. See, I'm not even going to sit down and bother to tell you this, Simmons. I'm just going to write out the report, and you can read it yourself. Exactly. Here, bureaucrat, here's your bureaucracy. Chain of command. Chain of command. It's got to be. Although, you know, honestly, they used to do that in Space 1999 anyway. Both Helen oh, and yeah. Koenig filled out reports. So I, I think he kept them sane. Yeah, no, they didn't need to take the Sorath. Or right. It's the, to keep them from dark thoughts. Exactly. Actually, I think that's what was probably making them uh, immortal. But that's just me. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder. It did yeah. cross my mind. Or eating the food or something, you know. Of course, that wouldn't have caused them to age when they left the atmosphere probably but on the other hand the scientific oh, accuracy point. of this good story point. may not be uh, uh so, so what did you think of this story and and how does it compare to the old one if you remember it at all i do remember the one uh the old one um fairly well uh i saw it on some online streaming service not too long ago so it was fairly fresh in my mind and it was on the Space 1999 record uh, uh, when I was a little kid, I believe. Really? Some adaptation of, of uh, that story was on there. Oh, I don't remember that one, but I, I didn't have them all, so it's possible. Yeah. Yeah, I'd yeah. have to like do some research, but I think that one was on there. I remember the one where they met Noah in the Noah's Ark. So I remember was... uh, the phrase, uh, what, Howling Mad Jack Tanner. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think that was the first time I'd heard that that term, howling mad. It's like, oh, okay, cool. I don't remember that one. Which, you know, is interesting because I think he did howl in the original. <clears throat> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think he did. And he did that strange, uh, the, the the alliteration that was so popular yeah. with, with British productions Edmund? back then. Yeah, crazy guy who's going to make, you know, uh, very clever alliterations about stuff. Very, you know, I, I, multiple meetings, et cetera, et cetera. So I'll, we'll, you might as well hit with that one to, to start with. Uh, in the in the original, Jack was quite a bit uh, Shakespearean. Oh yeah, yeah, he was really chewing up that scene. And and honestly, that doesn't work for me. It, it didn't work for me then. Oh, the madman who is now trapped in speaking Shakespeare. I know. Uh, that's like okay. That must be like a default crazy setting. Yeah. It, 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 well, it is for <laughs> British actors, I suppose. Exactly. But, yeah. Right. Right. It's, it's like, oh, you went him. to the Hammer School of Drama. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, so it's not like that in this one. Um, it's much better. Yeah. He actually sounds like he is slipping out of lucidity, like somebody who has dementia, mm-hmm. which is frankly terrifying. So I yes. can't imagine what that would be like. Uh, I, I, 
it reminds me of the uh, uh, one of the saddest bits of comedy I ever saw was the um, uh, Mitchell and Webb look where it's Sherlock Holmes and Watson. And uh-huh. the, the, the listeners can look that up if they want to. There's a video of it. And, uh, yeah, that was it dealt with with someone who is not quite uh, there in the presence any longer. Yeah. So I'm going to plant my flag here. I didn't really care for the original <laughs> Death's Other Dominion. Um, you know, it, it really showed the uh, two of the the characters who should be fairly sane and level-headed. Uh, it would be Bergman and uh, Russell uh, just pretty much losing it and saying, oh, yes, oh, this would be fantastic. It's going to be this great, be John. Wonderful. Here, sign me up. Experiment Look, yes, on me. Yes, yes, yeah, we should definitely move in now. Yes, let's not uh, do any sort of due diligence whatsoever look they live forever Ooh, think of all the huge, amazing scientific things we can do blah 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 huge right. problem with season one of space 1999 is there's more than one more than one instance of that yeah. where they're they just mm-hmm. like seem to abandon all reason in favor of um uh the story and and in fact uh in the commentary after the story nick briggs is talking about the fact that he thought that their behavior in the original was atypical and so they wanted to fix that. Now, I'm going to argue with him because their behavior wasn't atypical. It's what they did all the stinking time. But uh, but it is it should be atypical behavior for as the characters are supposed to be intelligent, trained scientists. And so, you know, th- this is one of the you know, I don't know what I don't know why they did that regularly on Space 1999. Again, I have my suspicion that we can attribute that to John Koenig has to be the one to be the only guy who can see the problem, the only guy that can save the day, the one fighting against everything to to succeed, right? I mean, that, that comes up again and again yeah. and again yeah. in the show. And so when you do that and you have two characters who should be strong you have to somehow put them in opposition to him. And they do that through being stupid. And Right, right. Dropping their IQ by 80 points. So huge improvement here. Mm-hmm. Huge improvement here that, that not, only have they, not only have they made them not take that position, they have, they've given Koenig a little bit of doubt, too. In other words maybe this is the right thing to do i don't know we've got some trade-offs he isn't dismissing it out of hand kind of like oh, yeah. the original one did which right. is just like nope that's wrong and we're not doing it yeah he's definitely I, weighing the choices and you can tell that he's really having to work at it there it's not yeah it's not a great scenario but is it a better scenario than what they've got right exactly you know at least on this planet you can go outside and breathe the air because there is air Sure, yep. it's and sub-zero, but, but, you know, a benefit of being immortal, apparently, is you don't get tired ever. So Yeah, you, you just don't get freeze. dark thoughts. and <laughs> Well, that's time, I think. Oh, yeah. That's... There was only, what, 26? 26, 28, Surviving like that, yeah. members of the Neptune yeah. uh, probe. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's not, not counting the... Uh, Crazy. Oh, what was the... The term they used in the original episode, the the esteemed, oh something like that, yeah, yeah, something uh, other revered than, ones or yeah, exactly the the people that gave themselves to science in hopes that they could figure out what was going on. Yeah, that 
that batch. Which I um, I honestly think that Roland wasn't. Yeah, he turned crazy, but originally he he wasn't crazy, and I think that everybody was because they were of a scientific mind bent. They were willing, yeah. Yeah, they were willing. They they actually thought, okay, yes, we'll figure this out and it'll help everyone else. The so question it's, is, how many of those people go through that process and end up zombies, for the want of a better word, before somebody goes, yeah, right, I'm not going to volunteer. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Maybe that's why they haven't made any new ones for a while. I kind of got the impression that they really hadn't done too much in the way of, of uh, experimentation yeah, uh, lately in, in, in a while. Yeah, I think yeah. that's I think that's fair. Yeah, and what in the in the audio drama it was nine hundred years, nine hundred fifty four years, I believe. The yeah, computer said. I think in the TV series it was two thousand, wasn't it? I don't remember. It was it, a lot. It has been a while since I mm. watched that. Um, yeah, I in every way I can think of. This is superior to the original. Oh, yeah, except for the visuals. Except for the visuals, which... You know, <laughs> which actually somebody, were much better in some ways. <laughs> some Someone out there is going to say, because they always do, I always find that audio dramas have the best visuals because they're the ones in my head. Well, you're oh, wrong. Yeah. The ones in my head are tacky. <laughs> uh, actually, no, I'm one of those Cardboard guys... Cardboard and, yeah. I'm, I, I'm one of those guys that say that, that audio dramas have the best special effects, Uh even listen to old Dimension X and, you know, X minus one episodes from the 50s. You know, the visuals are always top notch. Right, Granted, see, they might Eagle... look like Star Wars or Star Trek, but they are top notch. Those Eagle transporters look like cardboard boxes with smoke coming up oh. out of a flame at the back in my head when I'm doing an audio drama. But <laughs> it's... Uh... <laughs> so take that, Brian... Johnson, Brian Johnson. There, Brian Johnson, right? yes. Brian Johnson, the Did special better. effects wizard of the, the master of the in-camera effect. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Um, and I do, actually, it, I see I see Space 1999 as Space 1999 in my head. They've oh, done yeah, everything I do. here. In the audio, they've done everything to make this think of Space 1999. Oh, yeah. The background sounds, all that kind of stuff. It works so well. They do such a good job at this. So good that we should be paid for doing this. Yeah, <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah. The uh, the in the last one we I mentioned that I wasn't really noticing the background sounds mm-hmm. because when they would switch from the planet to to Alpha, it, it wasn't obvious until they started speaking to me what the heck was where we going. It was disorienting me. That was not as bad in this one, but I yeah. was listening to it through AirPods. And all the scenes were in main mission, and main mission does have very oh, yeah, it's, it's it has it's the authentic the, but subtle background sounds. Right, it's got the noise, the alpha moon based noises. Yeah, yeah, yep. definitely yeah, main mission sounds. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't as hard. I still don't like the music transitions. Um, they oh boy, uh, when I was listening to, it, I was thinking, you know, this reminds me of another movie. Yes, it, it, it does. It reminds me. A lot of their, uh, a lot of the music bits remind me of the Tie Fighter attack sequence in Star Wars. Star Wars, yes, I, I've got that yeah. written down. That's a little. Dun, dun, yeah. dun, 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 dun. Yes, that's one of yeah, the transitions, that, that, and it's like they just ripped that right out of Star Wars. The it's that other one. It's that other one. Dun 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 dun. 
I can't figure out where that comes yeah. from, but it sounds like something else. Yes. And it does not fit. It does not sound like Space 1999 music. And I know, you know, Barry Gray has got his sound and it's not meant to be aping that. Right. But when they do get all the rest of the stuff right and it, you are there, you're in Moonbase Alpha, and then the the sound is so, the the music is so off from that it's not that it's bad music it's just not what i'm expecting it doesn't feel right and i i i hate to criticize something as trivial as that but there you go it it is it it does take me out of it every stinking time because i'm just like where is where have i heard that before and it it doesn't doesn't belong here right it doesn't sound uh Either 70s disco twang exactly. enough or, you know... Uh, Sitari enough or, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't sound like the kind of cinematic, psychedelic sound mm-hmm. that Star or that uh, Space 1999 has. Yeah. Now, there were, there were like two places where they actually did that in this story, and I was surprised. They're very mm. subtle, but there is a little bit of sort of that sound between scenes or transitions. And it's like, why... Why just those couple of times, and then the rest of the time, it's that big bombastic piece. It just, you know, creative choices, and there, there we go. You know, fixed all the problems. <laughs> I, 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 I hate to say it that way because that that detracts from this story because this is a, it's a retelling of a story we've told before. Mm-hmm. You know, they fixed what Bergman and uh, Helena did. They split <laughs> them up and gave them. Things Dropping their to brains do. in the ground. Yeah. Right? You know, in, in the original one, who had to go find Jack? Koenig had to go find Jack. Right. Because right? he's the only one that's worried about it. In in this one, Helen is the only person who's seen him. When Koenig is going to go find him, she says, hey, I'm the right person. Is and I know Koenig what he looks lets like. her go. Yeah. He says, you're right, you're right about that. Why don't you go do that? <laughs> See, this is what happens when a writer can write to the character and the the actor doing the character doesn't say no, say, no, 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 no. I do not think <laughs> you understand this. I'm going to do it my star. way or I walk. Yeah. I, huh. And, you know, and this is what happens when you have 25, 30 years to uh, 40 years. To <laughs> shh, 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 shh. Oh, 40 years to uh, to think about these stories and go, you know, <laughs> they could have done this a little better. But I could have fixed this story in in a in a minute, actually, in a completely different way. How's that? Well, just invite them up to Alpha right off the bat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they have a spaceship that can't go very far, and Alpha has a nuclear reactor. Exactly. Bring it up. Let's see. You if guys, it fits. come on up. Let's see what we can do about this. And right. y- there you go. You I mean, know. yes, you've missed your planet, but uh, maybe we could bring some of the snow oxen and keep them right. in a you know, maybe, uh, bay or something yeah yeah you know, maybe our 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 crack technical team can fabricate a reactor that fits your ship yeah they have multiple reactors maybe they could cut one down and and exactly exactly and then they'd have more time so right it, of course then they would have all died when they took off in the spacecraft exactly. and the story would be over quickly mm-hmm. but nonetheless you know that whole we've put the deadline you either come down here and abandon alpha because i don't think they could disassemble and move the reactor in two days no good grief exactly no no jeez <laughs> no i mean wow yeah no 
we, we've seen what the reactor or one of the reactors on Alpha looks like. It's pretty big. I yeah. mean, it's it's pretty large. I mean, this you is can not a little RTG for a space probe or something. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yes, yes. If you're possessed, you can walk inside of it. Exactly. <laughs> oh, I'm so cold. I'm going to go warm up uh, in the reactor core. <laughs> oh boy, that's one of the that's one of the episodes that I remember from my youth. Uh, yes. Yeah, that one was a source of many nightmares. Thank you very much, Ian McShane. <laughs> yeah, Ian McShane gives lots of people nightmares. I think. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah it's a... Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah, all, all of that's it. It's a bit of a trope. I know this is from the original series uh, episode, too, but it is a bit of the whole, if you're immortal, you can't have kids trope. Eh, yeah. I... <laughs> uh, yeah, I... Okay, fine. Whatever, that is, I mean... That is the dilemma, right? That they're... Oh, well, we want if we come here, then we have a lot of time, but we can't have children. It's like... Well, if they could have children, then there'd be, like... No Problems. reason to leave because you could just keep expanding your your base or your habitat, whatever, in you know indefinitely. Who knows? Maybe you could find somewhere on the planet where the temperatures are warmer, like further away from the poles. Right. We don't. Maybe. We don't know what this planet's like. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or you know, dig down deep enough where you find geothermal something or other. Well, they I mean, had that. Right. They, you find more of it. That, then. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, or you know, maybe different breeds of snow ox or whatever they ate. Yeah, yeah, and there's so there's plant life or something. Well, they brought plant. Well, there must be for the snow ox too. Well, in that plant that they found that keeps people calm and keeps that the too. dark thoughts away. Well, that must be what the uh, sativa, which I know is so. Now, word, here's the question: is. So here's the question: mm-hmm. Are these snow ox immortal? Oh boy, that would pose a problem. It would. It would yeah. pose a problem because then they wouldn't have any children either. And then, exactly. and then when I'm they kill thinking, them all, they'd be gone. I'm thinking, no, they wouldn't be just because they're native to the planet. And the effect, the delta rays or whatever they are. <laughs> Berthold rays. Berthold rays. There we go. Thank Gaya. you. Thank you, Star Trek. Um, are the things that are causing the uh, non-natives to become immortal. Yeah. And, of course... We're making the argument here between immortality and amortality, obviously. Uh, we don't know if they can die or not, because Jack is contemplating suicide. Right. Do you think he was the first one to contemplate that? Well, I, I don't know what those dark thoughts are, but uh, it's Well, a good one would normally assume that the dark thoughts are ones of, of suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, it had... Have others been successful? I mean, I would think that maybe dismemberment would cause death. Or not eating. Hope. Maybe. I mean, they, they have bread and milk and stuff. Do they need it? A good point, <laughs> yeah. So they must need sustenance of some form. Here's an interesting thing that, about this story, and I had to look it up because it bothered me. What? In the original, what was the planet's name? I don't remember. Ultima Thulie. Oh, that's right. Okay. Right, right, right. Which right. is a mythical place that's far and far beyond away from everything else. Like High Brazil. It's, it's very, very far, far, far away. It's a, a, a mythical place. And in fact, we even named a Kuiper Belt object yep. that. Except it's not called that anymore. Oh, what's it called now? Arakoth. Oh. Which is a Native American word. 
And why did they rename it? And I'm guessing that's why they renamed the planet here. Ultima Thule is a big Nazi thing. <laughs> it's the really? birthplace of the Aryan race. And they still, the, the neo-Nazis have clung on to that. Really? I thought and that so, predated the uh, Nazi regime. Well, I, I, hmm. I, I, I believe that uh, Wagner predated the Nazi regime too, but they By glommed onto it. Right? I mean, it's just one of the things that they glommed onto as part of that mythos that they built up. And so apparently Ultima Thule is, uh, is a, a, no longer a um, proper name for naming things unless you're a Nazi. Uh, and so they renamed, they renamed the asteroid. And although it wasn't mentioned in the show, I'm guessing that's why they renamed it uh, in the Space 1999 episode to something hmm. else. Well, pretty much it's, it just means that if, this were done a decade or so ago that probably would have been called ultimate thule yeah 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 i'm sure it would have um yeah you know until because they it wasn't been that long ago that they named the kuiper belt object ultima thule was until they got pushed back after they'd done it that they decided to uh uh, go with something a little less controversial yeah a little less nazi uh yeah okay so twenty uh, percent so, less Nazi. Okay, got it. That's that's always the way to <laughs> that's always the way to go. However, I don't know that I have a lot to to add on it. I mean, I again, I the guy that they got playing Roland when he was calling out across space, I thought it was Brian Blessed <laughs> for a moment. I thought they they got they came really close, really close. I don't know if the guy was doing an imitation or whether that was just they cast somebody that had a good voice for it. But I, I think they probably cast somebody who sounded a little bit like Blessed, without actual Blessed being involved. Which, wow, why not? I, 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 think I know exactly why not. I mean, maybe he was. He likes busy. lunches. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah, I'm sure he's <laughs> quite fond of them. Maybe we, he was in the Antarctic when they. Uh, they taped this i'm not sure or at the top of everest or yeah yeah exactly or saving badgers or whatever he does in his spare time cats (laughs) he likes cats i think wrestling wrestling badgers saving cats exactly (laughs) what a guy (laughs) brian blessed look him up if you don't know who he is amazing guy (laughs) holy cow quite a voice oh amazing voice and man i want to read an autobiography of the guy I can't believe he hasn't got one. You know, the part that there is one thing about this story that I'm I'm really kind of saddened about is the original had one of these. Alan Carter got to go down and visit the uh, the Thulians, who the the female Thulians were well fit. Oh yes, I remember that he, he mentioned that <laughs> in their in their leather in their leather clad outfits of snow locks right. and bikinis and whatnot. They were they were quite the quite the impressive casting group of scientists on a <laughs> spacecraft. <laughs> oh, uh, quick aside, uh, Brian Blessed autobiography, absolute pandemonium. There we go. My I, louder I, than life story. <laughs> I can, I can totally hear him shouting that title. Even now. <laughs> absolute pandemonium. <laughs> Flash Gordon's alive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It was, yes, Alan Carter was quite enamored by the locals. Jeez, Commander, these girls are up for it. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I'm ready to move down here. 
Exactly. <laughs> I taught him a new term. It's DTF. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he didn't even get to meet any of them on this trip. So, well. Yeah. <laughs> well. Another thing that's interesting about this is we got a time frame. How long it's been since they went to uh, Pyrus. Right. Right. Months. Months, yeah. Months, months they've been between planets, which right. is still impossible. I'm thinking that they're going through wormholes left and right. They must Space must be weirder than we think. It's all that oh. dark matter. Yeah, definitely. I mean, once you go through one wormhole, it's just wormholes all the way down. It is, yeah. Or turtles. All well, it's got to be. It <laughs> must be like wormhole waves or something like that. Waves of instability. I, I mean, let's, I, let's, I'm let's say you get pushed mm-hmm. to 90, 95% of the speed of light. Oh, my. It's still probably going to be, you know, decades three, between four, stars. Five, 10 years between even the closest of stars. Well, it would take, you know, even at 99% of the speed of light, it would still take over five years to get from here to Alpha Centauri. Alpha Centauri, three and a half light years. Uh, 4.3. So I figured to round up since you're not quite at light speed. Yeah. So I don't know what our star density is here compared to where Alpha is, but it's it can't be that close. Well, maybe their their initial uh, uh, trip to Meta took them so close to the galactic hub there. Yeah. Yeah. That that stars are light hours apart. Ooh, God, that would make gravity rough. Wow. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. You catch some, I don't want to think about that. Waves. Yeah. But if they were traveling at those speeds, then they could zing by that planet a lot faster than uh, two days transit yeah. time. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe they're going by planets. You know, it's like, oh, there's a planet coming by, but it's going at a good percentage of light speed. So we can't get an eagle out there to do anything. Mm-hmm. It could be. Yeah. It could be. I, I was really hoping that they would address that. You know, that that's the other thing that Space 1999 had that was a real problem <laughs> that, you know, considering how hard they've worked to address it so far, all the other problems with at least some half base. So at least a nod. Yeah. A nod to the fact that you can't just say, oh, yeah, atomic explosion. And they blasted them out. And now they're traveling through deep space. Like, you know, we can't do that. We've got to come up right. with something different. I also love the fact that when... uh Roland calls out to them. They're all standing around main mission going, well, didn't expect that. (laughs) (laughs) What, another alien that speaks English? Oh, wait, it's not actually an alien. Okay. He knows our name. That was not what I was expecting. No. (laughs) Well, yeah, come to think of it, no, that wouldn't be what you'd be expecting at all. But we've done two stories in a row now where the aliens have had, or the, the people they encounter have had an excuse for speaking English. Yeah. So I it, it's these are good. I it, I don't know that I have a ton of analysis on it because of course I did that all the heck and back back when did the original episode. I just think they they've done a, a really really lovely job of mm-hmm. and and we've still got Simmons here. Yes. And yes. he's not terrible. Nope. He doesn't go down to the planet. He learned his lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yes he's gonna be in the rear with the gear yeah and you know yes he's still being an arrogant jerk 
as a leader, I have, you know, I have to consider the possibilities. And it's like, okay, yeah, we get, we get that. But you know, when you ask Sandra, it's like you, you don't, you don't want to see him. It's like I don't see any way that it's possible. Well, it's my job to think of the impossible. It's like, you yeah, know, that's that's not how that works. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, yeah, I think that his his constant wanting to go home, his desire to go home is will soon become counterproductive to the his existence yes <laughs> well to to the overall welfare of alpha and yes to his personal existence but uh we'll get to that eventually <laughs> so uh, and there's also there's a the where he's kind of I try to put yourself in this situation a voice calls out to you you're lost in space a voice calls mm-hmm. out to you, you know they claim it's somebody you know uh, in a, an impossible situation, but you're in an impossible situation. You get a call sign, which, by the way, why would astronauts need a call sign to tell them? You know, oh, it's a, it looks good, but it's actually very hazardous. Isn't well, that's the sort of thing you do in espionage? It's not. It, it wasn't a, an astronaut call. It was, it was uh, it, fighter pilots. And fighter pilots use terms like bingo and tango and um, broke and things like that. Yeah. Well. And, and RTB and things like that, little abbreviations. Um, so it's it's plausible that Midas would be a term. I, I couldn't find any reference for it. Yeah, it looks it looks great, but it's really a curse. Right, I mean, exactly. It's obviously, exactly. what it's from. You could easily use that for you know, like a place to land or something like that. You know, you could say, oh, it's you know, it's, it's Midas. Right, exactly. And I, I know a pilot that he was describing one day when he was in Alaska flying that he was going to sit down and he realized that his perfectly smooth field was actually a lake and he wasn't flying a float plane. So he pulled up and went someplace else fast. Probably, probably a good so, idea. Yes, exactly. So that would be considered a Midas uh, field or something like that. But what uh, that scene where they're in main mission and mm-hmm. they are discussing their options it's a very good group dynamic i was like okay oh yeah we we we, we could go but there could be danger but and it looks like a crappy planet but on the other hand if there are people there you know one maybe they need rescuing right you have to go two even if they haven't, they've been out here 17 years, they may have valuable intelligence that could help us survive. So you have to go. And right. They might have chocolate and cigarettes. Yes. And they claim that they've got a quote unquote paradise. So again, you, you just have to go. It doesn't matter. I don't know. Oh, yeah. It definitely I don't know investigation. what they could have there. I don't know what planet that Moonbase Alpha could ever come up against if it had a breathable atmosphere that they can afford to say, yeah, yeah, nah. Yeah, exactly. You know, the only reason they wouldn't pass one by is if they went by it too fast. You know, that would be it. Uh, You know, we just can't get, we just can't get there. Because that would be, that would, would that really suck? I mean, let's say you had enough time to get there, land on the thing for an hour, and then come back to Alpha, and that was it. Would it be worth sending somebody down for the data? Kind of, yeah, I think so. Well, you'd want to... You know, you do whatever re- uh, reconnoitering you can without you sending an eagle with a human on board, I think. I mean, because I have spoken of using satellites and sending satellites in orbit around the planet. I, I did want to mention that, yeah. Yeah, which I think is fantastic. That's It's a, a great way of 
of uh, of assessing the planet. Which in the well, I don't think they put satellites around the planet. I think they were referring to satellites around the moon. Oh, really? No, I kind of yeah. got the impression that they just sent a couple probes around the planet to to do mapping and stuff like that. That might be one to ask. That one might be one to ask Nick Briggs about because sure. I, the way I got the impression of it, it was like the way Sandra said, "Our satellites. Maybe oh, we could use yeah. our satellites to boost the signal." I'm like. Well, I mean, you could put satellites in orbit around the moon, I suppose. I don't sure. But the gravity dynamics of how hard that would be to keep one up there or to keep them up there after you pass through a wormhole <laughs> or well, while you're I, passing through a wormhole. <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but I mean, they, they have the Eagle transports can obtain a good percentage of C, you know, speed yeah, of light. So, they so put them up there. you should be able to... P- make a satellite that uh, can keep up with things <laughs> so that yeah. shouldn't be a problem They're not going to run our propellant anytime soon and if they do run low you just send an eagle up with a hose and you fill it up yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. i suppose yeah if you uh if you want to shoot uh, uh nick a line and ask him so <laughs> so who's satellites around the moon or around planets they encounter <laughs> might as well Give him something to think about. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, great. More fan mail. Uh, these guys. And they didn't complain about the fact that, and I complained about it in the original. I'm sure I complained about it in the original. I'll complain about it in this one. Why do they have snow gear on, on Alpha? Alpha? I don't know. I don't know why they have inclement weather gear on Alpha. Gear. Yeah. Couldn't they just wear spacesuits? I. I, maybe i mean maybe that's what it is i mean it's just a spacesuit without the helmet and backpack just the battery you know could be i don't know but wouldn't wouldn't that be surely a spacesuit has to be able to keep you warm enough in in space that the planet couldn't be that cold well i know that uh spacesuits um other than heaters in the toes and fingers they primarily uh, have to keep you cool because, because you're, in or- in orbit, you're yeah. in a vacuum, so your heat is not going to radiate very well at all. So you're just going to basically cook in a nice foil packet like a piece of salmon in an oven. Okay, so that would not uh, that would not be effective at keeping you out of the cold. Right, keeping you cool is don't... what's more, more important. the the Apollo The Apollo packs had a system where the water would go through this. Uh, network of little hoses in their long underwear and then it would go back to a heat exchanger that pretty much was open to vacuum and the water would sublimate to ice and then to gas actually it would sublimate to gas from ice and uh that's how the heat would be exchanged Mm. sorry i got a little bit nerdy there for you no no that's fine nerdy's fine i'm I'm just i'm (laughs) trying to ponder so yeah the insulation's really good yeah not to mention that alpha wouldn't have anything that would be suitable for, let's say, if there's any difference to interstellar space, right? Yeah. I mean, because everything we've ever done is within range of the sun. Right. However, one would think that in the number of months that they had between their first planetary encounter and whatever else is going on, that they might want to on that. do a little busy work and say, you know... Maybe we need some adventuring gear. So go make a couple dozen parkas and uh, cold weather gear with little atomic batteries that keep you warm or something like that. 
that sort of stuff. Mm. Do you ever wonder if uh, those 700 dead people that they have, what they did with them? Green. (laughs) What what they did with those bodies? Uh, No, I know exactly what they would do with those bodies, and it would be food. Yep. Let's just not think about it. Yep. (laughs) Dark thoughts. Dark thoughts. Break out the Sorath. Break out the Sorath. Exactly. Hey, you know, you got to... Protein from the yeah. sea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's either you live or you don't. And it's just, you know, they're they're gone. You say your your thank yous for wonderful memories. and uh, Put them know, in the vat. Yeah, don't turn the lights on in the recycling room. You're not going to yep. like what you see. Yeah. You know, yep. there's been countless science fiction books based on that. Heinlein, uh, Children of the Sky. Blah blah blah. Oh yeah, children yeah, of the yeah, sky. Yeah, yeah. yeah, children of the sky. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lo- exactly. Basically, the star lost. Yeah. Good eating. Exactly. Good eating. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, on those dark thoughts. <laughs> it's good fertilizer, you know. Keep the uh, agro sections going pretty well there for a while. Can't afford to waste that stuff. Can't a lot of phosphates and bones. Stuff that plants need, not Brondo, but not Brondo. That's right. <laughs> what plant? Brondo is what plants crave. Exactly. Yeah, or phosphate <laughs> from alfins. Yeah, <laughs> made with 100 percent pure alfin. Mmm, yummy. Bergman approved. <laughs> Bergman designed. <laughs> there you go. Bergman approved. Russell. Bergman design. Uh, Russell approved. <laughs> Uh, stopping in for McGalfins. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, coning flakes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and on, on that appetizing note, let's turn our attention to our second episode this evening. And that is going to be Goldilocks. Moonbase Alpha is approaching a potentially habitable world in the Goldilocks zone. Initial scans indicate a suitable atmosphere, water, and vegetation. A survey team travels to the planet. Commissioner Simmons decides to go along for the ride. The landing site on the planet is a vast jungle teeming with life. Koenig and Bergman take the Eagle for an aerial survey while leaving behind the passenger module kitted out as a laboratory. Helena remains behind with a team, including Simmons and Alan Carter, to conduct the biological survey. Soon, they discover an area of geysers and caves. As they start to investigate the caves, they spy a group of humanoids coming into the clearing, leading cattle of some form. As they stake out the animals, Helena decides to contact them. With a little indigenous telepathy, Alandra, leader of the party, learns to speak English from Helena's mind. She has a special, powerful gift and is able to extend that knowledge to all the people of her planet. In the mountains... Eagle One comes upon a vast mountain fortress. They land and are beckoned to enter. They meet Harris Stenbar, leader of the people who call themselves Valerians. They are welcomed warmly, and while these people appear medieval, they know of other worlds and science and take it mostly in stride. The fortress is called Haven, and soon after they arrive, an alarm is sounded. This alarm is to warn everyone to return immediately to Haven for the night. In the jungle, Alandra hears the call and insists that everyone come to Haven. Simmons is stubborn and wants to explore the caves against Alandra's strong warnings. He's nearly killed by a geyser, but Alandra saves him. 
but she is rendered unconscious in the act. In Haven, Stenbar has lost contact with Alondra and turns unfriendly towards Koenig and Bergman, locking them up, taking away their comlocks and lasers. He thinks Helena's party have harmed her. Alondra is taken by Alan and Helena back to the lab. Simmons and more of the survey team explore the caves. When Alondra awakens, she warns they will be killed in the caves at just the moment that Simmons' party is starting to be killed in the caves by the Draki, man-sized lizard monsters with a taste for flesh. With Alanda conscious again, Stenbar is a bit friendlier towards Koenig, but only a bit. He holds Bergman as hostage and demands that Koenig use the eagle to seek out and kill the Draki. They embark on the mission. In the caves, Helena, Alan, and Alondra rescue Simmons, the only survivor, and using Alondra's powers, they manage to slow the Draki long enough to slaughter them. But that awakens the Kratos, a gigantic monster that the Draki attend. It attacks the lab module, but Koenig manages to distract it. His eagle, however, is knocked out of the sky. Stenbar tries to stand down the monster, but is eaten. Alondra then draws the Kratos back to the module, which explodes, killing it. Having rid the world of the deadly monster, proven that Alphan technology is sufficient to defending themselves from and killing the monsters, and with the blessings and invitation of the Valerians for them to settle on their beautiful and abundant planet, the Alphans opt not to, because... To hell if I understand their logic. The end. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh... Well, let's save the end for the end. <laughs> sure. What'd you think of the What'd you think of the show uh, as a whole? Well, overall, it was good except for the ending. <laughs> <laughs> we can't have an upbeat ending on Space 1999. That's no, not a no new format. No. And you know, if they settled, then Simmons wouldn't die. Good point. So, well, he still could. He still yeah, could. Well, I he could be staked out next to the geysers next week. <laughs> true. True. He could do that. You do that, or you know, I'm senior. Some... I get to go. Yeah, exactly. You get to go meet the Draki and be like their ambassador. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how that Draki. plays out. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> ready the I, second I, ambassador. I enjoyed it, but I will. I will admit that as I put together the synopsis and and as I was listening to it too, mm-hmm. not just not just the synopsis, I was left a little wanting, and it's not just because of the ending. It it was it was enjoyable. Uh, it it followed a fairly reasonably logical pattern. Um, had action. Uh, it had uh, uh, at least two of the members of the team behaving uh, in a good way. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it did feel a little hollow. Uh, it, I, I, what I'd liken it to is it's a bit more season two space nineteen ninety nine than season one space nineteen ninety nine. No big ideas here. Oh. It, kind of like a filler episode, almost. Yeah, it, it's absolutely straight melodrama, planet, monster, well, true. And it, it, battle. It was an original story, so yeah, you know, we have, we have nothing in our minds to uh, to play along with it, other than right. maybe some uh, a, an odd mismatch of Beowulf and Hobbit movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I did think fit nicely was the when they described the Draki. You know, yeah. roughly man-shaped, covered in claws and teeth and scales and stuff. And I thought, the, I can picture that rubber-suited. Oh yeah, yeah, man, sleeve stacks. Yeah, that that is, stacks. that is totally a space nineteen ninety nine monster. Yep. 
you know, well, again, sort of a season two Space 1999 right, monster. Something but, Maya but, would have thrown on just, you know, mm-hmm. because. To, a, to attack something. Exactly. Uh, and I, I, I appreciated that. I really did because yeah. it, it kind of felt, that felt Space 1999 yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, yeah, that's an homage. <laughs> it's a man in a rubber suit. Yes. <laughs> in an audio adventure, the villain is a man in a rubber suit. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Takes some good writing to do that. Tell it you. does. It does. You have got to work hard to accomplish that without saying those words. No. <laughs> it's a man in a rubber suit. Plus, they get to you know fight something that they would never have come up against in space 1999. A giant oh, no. creature. You know. You know. I I cannot see anybody in the 70s at a. Uh, uh, a script meeting saying, okay, now here's where the monster comes in. We get Floyd in a rubber suit and he, and that's when he'd be stopped. You know, if you like, no, wait a minute, what you've got an Eagle running around, basically Godzilla. No, we can't do that. It's like, well, no, 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 no. It'll work. It'll be great. No, no. One thing that I didn't like, that's a strong word for it, but we are given some impressions of how big Haven is 200 feet walls. We yeah. are told by by Stenbar that the walls are that big to keep out Kratos. Right. Okay. But when they actually see it, we never get a good description of how tall it actually is. Because as far as I know, Stenbar's never even seen it. It was only his father who told him right. about it. Exactly. So they Nobody don't, in living they don't history know. has seen it. Nobody yep. in living history has seen it. And I would have been a little happier if if they had said... You know, it's it's forty feet tall, or right, yeah, exactly. two hundred feet tall. I mean, there's a, there's a big difference. It's big enough that its tail can smack an eagle that's in fairly close. Mm-hmm. But are are we talking Godzilla tall? Are we talking, you know, of course. And which Godzilla are we talking about? Yeah, exactly. We're talking about fifty four Godzilla or eighty four Godzilla or yeah. or post. I'm thinking. I'm thinking it was probably a hundred feet, maybe a hundred and fifty. You know, something where if it if it could jump, which it probably couldn't, yeah, I mean, elephants can't, elephants can't. So I don't see why a creature that size would be able to jump. But you know, when Alan sees it, he says something. Oh, that's gigantic! But again, how big's gigantic? That's the mother of all Draki, or something like that. But again, you know, right, if it were yeah. three times as tall as a Draki, you you could say that's a mother <laughs> of all gi- Draki. True. It's gigantic, right? True. I mean, it, it it really has no. It, when it attacks the laboratory, is it, you know, three times as big as the lab and it could push it over? Or is it so big that it could put the lab in its mouth like Godzilla and a train car? I, I got, it, it just really doesn't. I, yeah, I got I got Godzilla in a train car um, impression. But I think if that were the case, they would have been dead. I mean, yeah. you know, just shaken up where, you know, it just ripped in half. Yeah, so it it, it is kind of a shame that they didn't you know they set our expectations because here our walls are 200 feet high but 200 feet high doesn't mean that that's how high it has that the creature's 200 feet high right right you don't make a you don't make a wall six foot high to keep out a six foot man exactly exactly so we we don't know how long its arms were yeah or whether it could climb exactly uh you know scale walls or whatever so i mean there's all sorts of things in fact we have absolutely very little clue that it even looks like a, a Draki. Mm-hmm. Because 
yes, it's covered in scales, but that's about it. Yeah. So there, that I I kind of was feeling a little, from scene to scene, I, I, I really would have liked to have pinned that down a little bit better. That's just me, but it was a, it did feel like they missed a beat there on, yeah. on that. But still, overall, the episode was good. And yeah, Simmons was, was you know. Not I, horrible. Right. He wasn't horrible. And I think that when he eventually does bite it, it's, we will miss him. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That sucks, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, a little in a way. bit, yeah. In a way. <laughs> uh, the funny thing is, is that uh, if we had not listened to the post-production stuff or I think something I heard on maybe on the Big Finish podcast where Nick Briggs has said, you know, they're saving they're saving Simmons' fate for Earthbound or for the second box set. But I think he said in Earthbound, which mm-hmm. is where he left in the original series. Right. You could completely and absolutely go into this series going, so when's Simmons going to buy it? <laughs> right you you could be thinking yeah. simmons is going to lose it right here in this episode oh yeah you, oh yeah you know you know dark. helen isn't oh, you know yeah. helen isn't you know bergman isn't you know koenig isn't carter none of the regulars are going to but simmons actually yeah he comes within just a, a hair's breadth of of buying it right there i mean and i'd believe it if he did it's like well he was the disposable character he was the red shirt we knew that yeah, but there was another red shirt standing next to him to absorb the Gibson, red shirt. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Poor guy. Maybe they'll name a crater after him on the moon. There we go. There what we if go. They, what if they do that? I, you know, I, I like that idea. I like that idea. This is another one we should pass on to Nick Briggs. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Memorial craters for all the people who died on, on the moon maze. <laughs> Oh man! And with all their adventures, there must be new ones popping up, and and I'm sure that it would be very interesting for the Alphans to catalog those because uh, it would be easy ways to uh, do mining. Kill time. Oh, that say. too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, another let's... crater survey. Ooh, much better oh, than staring at go. these four walls. <laughs> I'll four beat months, you to the. That... I'll race you to the Alpha uh, to the uh, the uh, Eagle. Yeah. Did did we not? <laughs> Was it not in the both the la, in the last episode where they said it had been months since mm-hmm. they left uh, yep. Pyrus? And yep. so this time it's also been months since they left uh, uh, Neval. Right. So you know they are they are making it months between planets, mm-hmm. and that I guess that's fine. I you know I I guess that's fine. It, it's ridiculous. When we were watching the TV series, you know, TV guys, well, every week, how do they get to a new planet? Well, it's not every week. It wasn't every week on the TV series either. But we no. had no good idea of the length of time, except when Helena would say... <laughs> it's been 2,416 days, days after we left Earth's orbit. It's exactly. like, yeah, but last week you said it was 300. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yep. If there had been any sense there, except that... You know, they've been in space a few years by the end of season two. Mm-hmm. I get the impression they've already been in space at least a year. By the way, they say months. I mean, sure, two months is months. But nobody says that. Oh, that was months ago. No, you said it was a couple months ago. It, it just feels like months could mean four, <laughs> five. I would say at least six. Yeah. Yeah. But less than 12. 
Because exactly. then it would be over a year. It's been over a year we've been staring at these walls. And possibly only uh, less than 10 because I think it's say almost a year from yep. our yep. I think departure you're right. from Earth. I think you're right. <laughs> it depends how so, accurate they are. I don't know. Well, they are. They are scientists. They should be saying it has been 69 days since our last. <laughs> In Vulcan-like precision. Yes. Yeah. 0.653. Thanks, Kano. <laughs> I also, you know, in keeping with our Simmons theme mm-hmm. of of them working on the character, we definitely, there is Helena tries to be a little nicer to him. Because she knows he's going to die soon. But, oh, wait, no, no, probably not. But in a weird way. So, like, Simmons comes out and he goes to Dr. Russell and he says, have you got a report for me? Which is a jerky thing to do when you've been on the planet 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I was wondering it, why it he was is. doing that. It's like, wow, a little impatient there? Jeez. Establishing dominance kind of thing. And and Dr. Russell, you know, tells him, I don't have a report yet. I just started. Exactly. Bugger off. But if you want my gut reaction, it looks promising. Mm-hmm. Now, and he goes, you know, thank you for that. Because I think he he clearly got it. Right? That was That was inappropriate of him to ask at that point. And... She's actually handing him a little branch, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and she even says, you know, we uh, we probably need to try to, to get along. Uh, but she immediately turns that around while he says something, and she like cuts him off. And says, here, hold this, would you? Yes, he's interfering with her work, so she puts him to work. Yeah, still a little brusque. It's still a little brusque. And then she says, we're going to put these uh, flowers in here so we can test that. He goes, oh, are you testing it for toxins? And what does she say in the most pedantic way she can? Toxins and other things. And I I thought, (laughs) I'm not quite sure how I read her on this. I think she was slipping into scientist mode in a big way. And he was breaking uh, her concentration. (laughs) She was not being as nice as he was to her. moment <laughs> yes but he was he was still coming off as somebody who is surplus to requirements <laughs> yeah yeah he professes himself to be the leader or at least somebody in charge and he's you know trying to familiarize himself with what the his underlings are doing yeah but really has he's way out of his depth in whatever she's doing <laughs> yeah oh yeah absolutely <laughs> And and I'm glad they didn't go there with that, where he starts trying to tell you know, oh, crew yeah. members to go do this or to go do that. Oh, it's yeah. like, thank goodness that didn't happen. Yeah, that, yeah, that one that one would have thoroughly that one would have thoroughly deserved the complete rebuke that he got. What he was doing wasn't <laughs> too bad, and she could have just knowing he doesn't know it, she could have just kind of gone along with it and and been yeah. you know fine. You know, yep. we're stuck with him. We got to live with him. He's not. He he's not doing stupid things. He's just curious. Yeah, exactly. You know, perhaps he can be trained to do something useful. She could put him to work. Exactly. You know, as Alan mentioned inside the Eagle, I'm sure Dr. Russell can find something for you to do collecting samples. I mean, sure, go collect samples. Exactly. If he can be trained to do some task which frees up somebody else or speeds their uh their entire process along, then awesome. Then now he becomes a valuable member of, member of, of the, the team. team as opposed to somebody who's just eating rations and sucking up ship's air. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 
I liked that part. I will say mm-hmm. that when Simmons was, was, you know, like, no, no, no. Look, we don't have to obey your laws on this planet about going back to Haven when the alarm <laughs> sounds. We can do whatever we want. <sighs> I, I didn't really like that scene because... So he just should have stunned him. Alondra should have said, uh, no, the deadly creatures come out at night and will eat us. Exactly. Once again, communication amongst the natives is poor. Yes. And, and that part was the bit where it's like, it's not a law that you have to go back into Haven. It's because you're going to die. It's common <laughs> sense. Yeah. We don't even think of it. You hear it, you just move. Yeah. You need to explain that to the non-locals. Yeah. <sighs> and so that one was I, a little... Maybe. That no, was, I don't know. That was a little problematic for me. And then the other part that was a little problematic for me was Stenbar <laughs> after... Mm-hmm. After she regained consciousness, it's like, yeah. Oh what does no, he do gonna... when she goes to sleep? Yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm now gonna. I'm now gonna take you and keep one of you hostage, and we're gonna go fly out and kill the the tribe. It's like, and the whole time Koning is like, let me. You know, we can do stuff here. Work with me. It's like, nah, I can't, I can't trust you. It's like, why can't you trust them? But I mean, you found out it was a mistake about. About Alondra. Right. You were open and welcoming. These people want to find a home. Strikes me as something that they would be more than willing to help you with if they could, if you just asked, yeah. instead of they, they sidelining your... Bergman, who yeah, had not much to do in this. True. Which is kind of sad, but oh well. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, your guests arrived in a spaceship. I mean, right yep. there. You know, they probably have something that might be able to defeat the monster. I mean, at least what they could do is, I don't know, hover the eagle, turn it so the engine's facing the monster, and then floor it. Yeah. You know, it uses atomic rockets. It's going to do some damage. They blew up a laboratory module with its power packs, and they killed this monster. Right. These creatures are not a problem for the elephants. Exactly. They lasered a bunch of them, Mm -hmm. you know, with with a crew of just two or three people and and slaughtered a whole batch in a cave not going to be a problem to clear some jungle establish sure put up force barriers put up walls put up whatever you need to do but that's right not a problem alpha could take care of it shouldn't be a problem of course i think the british said against that again said about the same thing against the zulus and that didn't true that didn't end very well for the british but but they or said the that Zulu against the Zulus, but I don't think the Draki are as coordinated, yeah, <laughs> or or as intelligent. I I didn't get the impression that they were supposed to be. Oh yeah, no sentient beings. No, the Draki were definitely uh, more. Uh, so this is really more the British. We can clear the tigers out. Yes, of the jungle. Badgers which, you know, not a problem. Badger, yes. <laughs> Foxes. We've got guys on horses that can do that. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, rather incompetent, upper-class, twit-of-the-year kind of people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it beggars belief <laughs> that the, the Alphans decide not to stay. But once again, they couldn't because there's more stories to be written. <sighs> uh, okay, well... Then let's let's take a look at this other end of this. Okay. This is the third story in a row. Yep. Where they've come up with a 
I'll accept it. Passable explanation why people speak English in space. Hey, uh, they did a really good job on that one for this. I'm, I'm actually very impressed. It, it is the closest to a high concept in this episode that it has. Right. Exactly. And I think this is probably a double-edged sword because <laughs> they have been coming up with reasons. Mm-hmm. How many can they make up? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious as to what's going to happen in the next one. I think that uh, what's eventually going to happen is that uh, Bergman is going to come up with some universal translator that's going to work or, through the comm locks. You know what? Or find it on a planet. Or find another planet, right? Exactly. And they, they might appropriate some useful hardware from technology um, from somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah, something they're going to have to do so that we have an excuse. But at the same time, I appreciate the effort that they put into it. Therefore, and that's where I'm leading on this, uh-huh. I do not appreciate how lame their excuse for not staying was. Surely yeah. they could have come up with something else. We waited too long. We found something in the biological experiments that that would have had a long-term deleterious effect on us. Anything. But yeah. what I see is an entire population of people who might live in one fortress and a big empty planet that the Alphans could tame. Right. And it... Or, you know... There's only 300 alphans. They could probably live in that big fortress for a while. Oh, yeah, quite a while. You know, f- so fly out with the fortress. eagles established. Yeah, I just, it just, and and they the excuses they gave were, and uh, no, it's even weirder than that. It's like, uh, well, you know, a planet with giant monsters on it. It's like, you killed the monster, but there well, could be more. A monster, but we haven't right? seen one. We haven't seen one in two generations. Yeah, but um, but we'd have to uh, uh, stay here uh, with you people who've invited us to stay, and that would unbalance things. It's like, what? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, definitely. A note to Mr. Briggs, please give a better explanation why the Alphans uh, don't settle at places. It really Andrew annoys Smith the fans. Yeah, well, Andrew okay, Smith well, in this one, yeah. But, still, yeah. I, I think it would get to the right people. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a it's definitely a, a weak way for them to leave leave the planet. Yep. And uh, I mean, yeah, okay, they didn't even go to go here with it. Our laboratory and all our biological experiments got destroyed, and now we don't have time to do them again. True. True. That one could have been. I mean, I can see Koenig having to make the go, no-go decision and deciding to do no-go if they have not collected enough data. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, I can too. Um, he doesn't strike but, me as a gambler. No, not not in that way, no. I, but it just, uh, I don't want to assume something like that because it's just not, I, I'd rather have the character say it. I, yes, I'd have gone, I'd have stayed because I, you know, trying to put myself in the mindset of somebody who's been launched in the moon through space and they've already come across three planets, mm-hmm. which is more than they should expect in a lifetime. <laughs> true, true. And this one's really, you know, I, I think we can do this. And of course, maybe that's it. You know, we found three planets. I bet we'll find more. 
But we're going to find a really cool one here pretty soon, you know, kind of the gambler fallacy. You know, I, I, the machine's heating up, I can tell. Just one more <laughs> pull. One more pull. We did get a we did get a check a name check for Garrus and Conan's yeah. concerns about whether or not somebody has a cold ahead. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah. that. That was good. However, of course, it does mean without doubt that we are going to arrive somewhere where someone has called ahead. <laughs> Fine, I want to see how they handle it. Yeah, that's one where they can. That's one excuse for the English. Oh, no, Garrett told us how to speak English. Okay, great. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, we know in Earthbound it's because they were going to Earth anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's two next time through, I'm sure. That's two in the next box set. And I don't even know what's <laughs> in the next box set, but I'm betting there's two of our explanations as to why they speak English right there. Uh, probably. Um, should write those down. But you know something? The people from Earthbound... They're the people that should give the Alphans the technology oh, that would to be do cool. the translation. That would be cool and very useful. Yeah. And appropriate because the people in Earthbound were going peacefully to meet with the people of Earth. And mm-hmm. they were they were Oof. friendly and sharing and kind. And... Oh, they're going to be surprised. Oof. Yeah. When they get there and Earth's not there. It's like, oh, I left this place in a bit of a mess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we met the folks who did this. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. That was the that was We the have Pyrians. one of them back in the ship, but he doesn't look very good. <laughs> He's called Bony. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, let's see. What else do we have on this particular episode? Um, let's see. Uh, sound design was pretty good. You know, a lot of high power. The high sound design, sound, yeah. Sound design looked good. Uh, it sounded good. Didn't look great, but it sounded good. Um, <laughs> yeah. The um, uh, still that music I don't like, and I yeah. I definitely put a mark down at the point where they did the Star Wars music again. Uh, you know, it's growing on me. <laughs> it just you, and here's the fun. This is what struck me when I saw, heard the Star Wars music again. The the, right. the attack of the Tie Fighters right. from, from the original film. It's period. <laughs> That's what struck me. It actually is period. Mm-hmm. It's not consistent with what space 1999 sounded like and it's not really consistent with what it sounded like in breakaway but it actually is kind of period to 1970s mid sound Mm -hmm. design yep but uh, i'll be very interested to hear if they have a different composer for the next box set and and where they go with it uh at that point but um yeah yeah i i don't i don't oh uh, sure. Here's one that was good. Who saved the day? Who saved the day? Well, Simmons did a good job. Uh, it was Helena. No, it was Helena. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was Helena. It was uh, going out and meeting the locals. Koenig barely did a thing. No, 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 no. She's the one whose idea it was to rig up the exploding lab. Oh, true. True. That's right. Right. It wasn't Koenig flying in with lasers blasting and stuff. He just got swatted out of the sky. <laughs> he distracted it long enough for them to escape. Mm-hmm. But it was Helena's plan to, to blow up the, the thing and, and kill the right, kill the creature. So yeah, it was definitely Helena's day. Bergman did the Bergman did the one on Pyreus, uh or on yeah Pyrus. And Pyrus. Uh, let's see. I guess maybe it was Koenig that saved the day on. Yeah, I don't know. And that's Southern Dominion. Uh, I'd have to think about that one again. But so they're, they're sharing it around nicely. It was uh, Helena, that. kind of, with 
I think it was more of a team effort on that one, wasn't it? I think. I suppose, but Helena found Jack, so. Yeah. Kind of the linchpin so, for the whole thing. They're definitely not. Uh, they're definitely not doing the Koenig must save the day. Yeah, I'm. Thing. I'm happy and to I see that. I like that. Yeah. So they're 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 working there. I'm I'm just a little. Again, I'm miffed about Victor getting sidelined in this one. <laughs> because, I mean, for crying out loud, Victor, science, new planet, this seems like... Oh, yeah, he would just would have been all over everything. He should have had something, some big... Yes, something to do. ...part to play in it. Yeah. Do you have anything else about this episode? No, I do not. All right. I don't know if there is even a release date for volume, or box set two, well, from I hope Space 1999. Soon. But uh, at the rate they're going, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it isn't sometime in 2022. <laughs> like, uh, well, you know, yeah. that's not too far away. They have been recording a lot of this stuff in lockdown. So, um, yeah, I can I don't see know how if this, this one was, but. Easy to continue on with the production schedule. Yeah. Well, in that case, since we don't have a next episode to uh, review, I won't say what we're doing next time, but. Uh, John, thank you for joining me. Oh, you're very welcome. This has and been fun. <laughs> crack open a McAlphin mm. burger and, uh, and we'll ask for it by name. McAlphin. It's what's for dinner. Two all. Uh, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> we hope you'll join us all again next time. <laughs> Fusion Patrol. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener supported podcast. There are over 500 previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on Twitter, our website, or Facebook. Find out how you can become a supporter at Patreon.com slash Fusion Patrol. Supporters get early access to all regular episodes, bonus episodes, and more. There's even an optional podcast series where we're looking at the classic TV series Babylon 5. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next time on Fusion Patrol, join us as Kenneth and I discuss the Star Hunter Redux episode, Supermax. Come join the conversation.